0: hi everyone uh thanks for joining us welcome to another episode of legends of the spire Um, today on the podcast we've got jamie winter with us he was a feature of the chesterfield team in the late noughties when lee richardson was at the helm Uh, and with all players from that era it's really interesting to talk to them um, about that squad at the time because it was a squad that had all the talent to win promotion but just missed out on playoffs in both seasons that lee richardson was in charge Um, so it was good to talk to him about that it was also a really good tribute to kevin austin as well Uh, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, So thanks for Jamie Winter for uh, speaking to us about uh, big Kevin Austin. Um, And and yeah, we had to chat about local derbies against Mansfield and square sausages with Gregor Robertson and his time before Chesterfield at places like uh, Leeds, Aberdeen and St. Johnston too. Uh, He's now a patron of Back On Side, uh, which is a mental health uh, charity. Um, So do go to backonside.co.uk to check it out. Um, It's a really good website and well worth seeing what they're doing. Um, So thanks for Jamie Winter for spending some time with us. Top, top fella. Uh, Could have chatted to him all day, speaks really well about the game. Um, And yeah, best of luck to him up in Dundee um, with whatever he gets up to next. So here's our latest episode of Legends of the Spire uh, with Jamie Winter. Where, where, are you, where are you Zooming from? So, so I'm in my house in Dundee
1: now, back oh, home Dundee. from where I was born, yeah. So i managed to... been living back home now for about... Well, since I was 25, 26, so yeah, about 10 years now. So yeah. it's been good.
0: And I've never been to Dundee. I applied for a job once at Dundee Arts Centre many, right. many years ago, and I was all fully prepared to move to Dundee if I got the job, because it looked really nice. You're a bit of a... To be honest, it's, bit, it's very, very
1: similar to Chesterfield in size and people and whatnot. So that was good transition. But it's uh, we just recently got the V&A up here. So mm. that's been a big thing for the art, art side of things. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I suppose it's like everything else. We take it for granted because we're from here. Yeah. And um, Whenever we go on holiday, people always say we're bumping Americans with the golf and oh, you're only five minutes from St. Andrews. And we kind of say, yeah, it's just over the water,
0: but we don't take much notice of it. So if we start start the beginning, I always like to start at the yeah as a start. Obviously, growing up in Dundee, yeah, um, yeah. So were you always football mad? Was that always your sport? Yeah, yeah. So my dad my
1: dad played for like Forfar and a few junior teams. He was at St Johnston and that as a kid. Um, so it was the the ritual was obviously school and then dragged to my dad's football on a Saturday, which was great. and, and it's kind of all I knew he was hanging about dressing rooms and beginning to watch football from a really young age. Um, and, and to be honest, genuinely took a real interest in it quite early. That mm. um, wasn't until I started following, football, like, supporting teams myself that then my dad gave up the football and we became uh, season ticket holders at Ibrox. Yeah. And then that kind of coincided with the, the time we had that was then the time when I was becoming quite good at the 12, 13-year-old stage. So... I was missing out on going to the football. My dad was doing that. So just from there, as I say, playing, playing in Dundee, because there was a lot of training schools, it would be like Monday, Monday Dundee United, Tuesday, Aberdeen. Wednesday, I would train with Celtic. Thursday, through to Glasgow, to train with Rangers. So it was quite, from the age of maybe 11 or 12, that was me all the way through to 15 till I decided what I was doing next.
0: Yeah, so you're a Rangers fan then. Growing up, right? Yeah,
1: so brought up a Rangers fan. Yep, yeah, so it's been a good season for me so far. Not so yeah. good the past nine, <laughs> tough to put up with. But um, yeah, that's so. As my dad was best friends with Derek Johnson's, who's obviously a Rangers legend. His brother, they were at school together, so everybody always says, "Being from Dundee, how did you end up a Rangers fan?" But you always just follow your dad's supports, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah. Thing they put into me.
0: And then, so then, did you? Were you part of a? Part of a specific team's youth system when growing up, or were you going all over the place? So the, in in Scotland, there's what they call an, an S forum, and that kind of ties you to a club
1: at that age. And I was with Rangers as a youth player, and but I kind of I, I was going on trial down to England to Leicester, Everton, been down to Middlesbrough and Leeds, and I, as soon as I kind of knew that it was going to be the English route, I was going to take. My dad took us out of, of Rangers because I was travelling two and three times a week through to Glasgow from Dundee, which is an hour and a half, two hour drive at the time. It just seemed pointless. It was probably affecting my schooling and stuff. Um, so once I kind of made up my mind I was going to go down the England road, he just told me back, played with my friends for the last seven, eight months, and then obviously made my mind up that I was going to go to Leeds.
0: Yeah, and what what age did you turn up at, at Leeds then? So
1: I signed for Leeds when I was fifteen, and they actually took me out of school and just before my sixteenth birthday, and I had to do I had to finish my my academic work down down in Leeds. Um, so yeah, it was quite tough moving away from home that early. Um, but it was kind of when you're you've got a dream and you're you're going for it. That was the kind of way it went off.
0: Yeah, well, I live in Leeds, so I'm zooming from Leeds. That's quite hard. <laughs> but. Um, so, so, what were you in, like, digs then, or were you... Yeah, like, yeah, the so, so the way they did it at that
1: time was, the, you'll know Thorparch was the training ground, mm-hmm. um, and on the training ground there was, um, I say dorms, it was, like, so first years when you joined, would stay on the bottom level, and then in your second year you move up to the stairs and stay on the top level, and then in your third and fourth year you would move out and stay with a family. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just good, it was a good bedding-in stage because... On the training ground, your meals and that were cooked for you, and it made it comfortable for guys moving away from home. And by the time you got upstairs, you were a wee bit older. You were wanting a wee bit more freedom. You were getting a taxi into town and yeah. want to go to the coffee shop or whatever it was. But um, so it was good. So I stayed at Forest Parks for two years, um, and and yeah, but probably would have changed that. Took it for granted, to be fair, because there was not like having Olympic sized swimming pools and all the gym stuff and all that on your doorstep, but never used it. You couldn't wait to go off the tuning ground and go and play the computer with the boys.
0: <laughs> and are there any players from around then that we'd kind of know? Yeah. So
1: in my second year, when we moved upstairs, uh, below me was Scott Carson and James Milner. They were two roommates. Um, so they, they stayed below us and like that. we loved together for, for a year and a half. Um to be all, all they did was watch Only Fools and Horses. Any time we went, like obviously, could you imagine 20, 25 boys all staying in dorms? We were looking, having a carry on, and all they were doing was in the dorm watching Only Fools and Horses or playing darts. And but, you know, I suppose that's how they've got Champions League medals, isn't it? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah so it is. um, like James Milner's got this reputation of that he plays on a bit of being boring. Uh, yeah, but so was Only Fools and Horses. His choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Like that, I think he does play on it because he was always a great lad when we were younger. Like he was very, very focused from a, from a young age. Um He kind of missed the whole youth system. I remember him joining, and within months he was in the reserves, and then within months of being in the reserves, he was right in the first team. But you could tell from a young age, like as I say, he was so determined, and he was just good, consistently good at everything. I mean, like I felt that when I was a good, I was a good passer of the ball. So, but I wasn't the quickest or I, I wasn't mobile in the park. Whereas James was just good at everything. He was, he could play him left back and he would be a nine, an eight and a nine out of 10, the same way you could play him right wing and he'd be an eight and a nine out of 10. He just, he, he, was, he was able to float about the game and contribute to a game of football in, in every way he could. Um, so, as I say, I didn't have many times playing with him in the youth system because he just shot through and within within months he was in the first team. Yeah.
0: And then were you there for kind of a couple of, were you there until you were about 20, something?
1: Yeah, so I actually came home for Christmas. I remember Kevin Blackwell was the manager. It was the first season they'd been relegated to the championship. And it was me, Martin Woods, and a guy, Andy Keogh. Us three were kind of told we had to stay back for an extra week training with the first team. And we were kind of pulled aside and says, we're playing Sunderland on Boxing Day. And they said, one year or two years I'll need to come in the squad. And it just so happened that I think Woodsy went with the squad and me and Andy got to go home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And while I was up for Christmas, I remember it was like Christmas Eve, the the club were phoning my phone and I was like, oh I'm not answering it. Like they they'll just want me to go down and sit on the bench at Sunderland. It's a terrible attitude you know like but I think <laughs> about it now it's like shopping. Like kids would give the right arm. But I remember being back home for Christmas with my family and thinking, oh like I'm I'm just I don't want to go and eventually my dad got a hold that heard they were phoning me and he was like, you better phone them back, like, now. And it just so happened that they'd accepted an offer from Aberdeen. And while I was up there, (laughs) just to go up and have talks with them. And the way it worked out, I went up the next day to Aberdeen and within two or three days I'd signed. And it wasn't until then, the summer, I had to go back and collect all my clothes from Leeds because, like, the Scottish Premiership was in full swing then. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then there's a a, a great... um... There's a great shot of your free kick versus Celtic, which I suppose as a Rangers fan was,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: nice. Um, yeah, how how was it at Aberdeen? Going to that? enjoyed it again. Really enjoyed it. It was my first real
1: taste of. I'd obviously been in and around the the bench and the squad at Leeds, but then to make your, to, to play actual proper football, uh, it was it was special. Um, it was a lot different to what I'd been used to. The, the, the switch from seeing the Premiership to the Championship and then back up to the SPL, it's all of a sudden three points matter on a Saturday and and that really matters and it matters to people, and mm. um, so it was a bit of a, a, a bit of a eye opener but it was something that I enjoyed and to be fair I was quite I would say laid back but I was I, I cared but I, I cared in a way that I didn't let things affect me too much, um but the the time from joining Christmas to the end of the season was. Probably my most enjoyable at Aberdeen because I was involved in every game, and uh, and we put on a run of games where we, I think we managed to ju- we just missed out on European football the last game of the season on goal difference, um, but no, it was good. It, it, it was nice to be back home nearer, closer to the family.
0: Yeah, and quite quite a few players have mentioned that going from uh, kind of a reserve reserve team setup to then a first team, there's yeah. there's like a noticeable change in how much it matters straight away because maybe in a reserve team you're a bit more selfish and you're trying to 100%. try to impress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: realistically, they'll, they'll say that the result matters, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't, you can have, as, as long as you're doing your job in a reserve game, you'll walk away and say, well, we've got beat 3-0 today, but I'll be picked for the first team on Saturday to be in the squad or whatnot, whereas it really matters on a Saturday when there's when there's three points up for grabs, or you're fighting relegation, or you're chasing a European spot, it, it, it becomes serious.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and and what was your what was your highlight at Aberdeen? Then was it was it scoring that free kick?
1: Yeah, thanks. Stating the obvious. I mean, I, I I think I scored two two for Aberdeen. I scored a a, a good goal in the Scottish, week or Scottish Cup against Berwick, which was another. It was a long range one. It's probably one of the better ones. But just the whole the whole week leading up to the Celtic game. I remember training really well, and the manager pulling me in on the the game was on the Sunday live on the telly. And remember he pulled me in on the Saturday and says, "I was really contemplating starting you." And uh, I thought it was one of the ones like, "Yeah, good one, thanks very much" type thing. Um, and he was like, I'm, "I'm genuinely serious. I was going to start you and I was going to play you sweeper." Now I've always been a centre midfielder all my days, but our, my, my manager at that time was Jimmy Calderwood, and he'd learned all these coaching badges in Holland, so he had this. Whole philosophy of we've got a lot of Dutch training and everything is so. I don't know, what, but that come the, the Sunday, uh, Russell Anderson, our captain, who was this predominantly centre half, he pulled out with a migraine at literally two hours before kickoff. And true to his word, he put me in and played sweeper. And it was myself, Andy Considine, and a guy, Xander Diamond. And I mean, I think I was 19, Xander was 19, and, and Andy Considine was 18 and we were up against uh, John Harton and, and Zaravsky. So it was a bit of an eye-opener, but I just remember, I remember scoring the goal and running back thinking, I can't believe I've got the winner against South." <laughs> and within about seven minutes, it was 3-1. <laughs> Is there to be a variation here? Nicholson over the ball. It could be knocked short for Winter, he has got a very good strike with his right
0: foot. Or will it be Smith? But it's going to be Winter. I mean that's that's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a baptism of fire isn't it getting getting chucked in a sweeper against Celtic.
1: Yeah, and to be fair, my brother-in-law he still tells us a funny story about that. He remembers were he was watching it live on Satanta and they were kind of doing a run through of the game and talking about how nervous I'll be being twenty-year-old thrown in at sweeper. And I think it cut to me in the warm-up and I was just kind of messing about like no care in the world. I think now if you ask me to go and play sweeper in a game. I'd yeah. probably be an error wreck, but when you're 20 <laughs> year old, you don't you just take it as you go, don't you?
0: Yeah, and and is is the um is the quality is there a, a, a really noticeable difference in quality from those like top top couple of teams and then yeah you just you you just there's no room for error whatsoever. Yeah, I mean even now if
1: I've watched back the highlights of that game, I, there's so many times I'll say I could have done that better or I could have done that and and it and it affects the whole game. You're talking about, I mean Nakamura and Petrov. They're playing, and you just the capitalise on any mistake, and that even something stupid like you think that you're you give away a corner, and then all of a sudden like, they've just got you penned in for the next fifteen minutes, and it just affects the whole flow of the game, from one mistake or you've given away a, a possession at a cheap throw and and like I say, they're just these are all internationals. They just really punish it and they make you pay for it. Yeah.
0: And, and then you had a spell at St. John- St. Johnston, didn't you, before before ending up at Chesterfield?
1: Yeah, so again, uh, the manager had come to me and this was the, the next season and I was kind of not playing as much as I wanted to be playing. He'd made a few signings in midfield, which was fine. And I kind of just said I wanted to be playing. So he came to me and says there's two or three clubs and it turned out to be St. Johnston. Uh, Owen Coyle was manager there and they were first division, but they were pushing for promotion with St Mirren which again it was good and it, and it was going out and getting more games but timing was everything in football and I was a wee bit gutted because when I did go to St Johnstone I was playing but it just so happens that the two or three boys that were in my position at Aberdeen got injured and there was guys that, I were in, that were in the reserves with me were then playing and I thought oh, if I have maybe just stuck it out who knows what would have happened but they are the decisions you make but no I enjoyed my time at St Johnstone and again it was just a chance to play football
0: yeah and, th- and, then, uh, and then, yeah, eventually you end up at Chesterfield, don't you? So yeah. um, how did that all come about?
1: So I'd, I'd finished my contract at Aberdeen. I'd run that down. And my, my roommate at Leeds at the time, Martin Woods, had basically just signed for Doncaster. And he'd said to me that they were keen on having a look, kind of like a trial basis, come down and train, and, and you get to look at them, they would look at you. So I thought, yeah, no problem. So went down to Doncaster, and I think I was there two or three weeks, played a couple of games. And I remember we played Man City at the Keatmoat on the Saturday. And I spoke to them, and they says, look, done really well. We're keen to possibly get something sorted. Go up the road. My daughter had just been born. She got go up, see the family, and then we'll be in touch. No problem. I went back up the road, and basically the next day, I was in the town with my daughter and Lee Richardson phoned us. I got a... Um, number on my phone that I didn't have he introduced himself I'd obviously heard of him through the ex aberdeen stuff mm-hmm. and he kind of just sold the club and the deal was basically done over the phone and I travelled down basically the next Saturday and it was a testimonial game against Nottingham Forest um, was it Blatherwick's testimonial I think uh, yeah, it was yeah, I think it was Blather's yeah yeah and I actually signed that morning and came back up the road to get the rest of my stuff and that was it I was just done
0: yeah and then that's a that's it. A, a lot of players kind of have their bases and commute, don't they? And uh, but I suppose that's not really possible when you when you no No, and I mean and and I didn't
1: drive at the time, which was how I've managed it, I don't know. So basically when I moved to Chesterfield, I had to try and find the closest flat to the stadium as <laughs> possible or find out where other boys were living so I could jump a lift. But um yeah, so it was a case of just moved down and that was it, went with it. But I, I enjoyed it, it was good.
0: Yeah, and and what did did Richardson say say what kind of role he wanted you to be in the team?
1: Yeah, kind of just said that they were obviously they were just relegated and they had he made a big deal about the fact that they'd obviously managed to sign Jack Lester, who who had heard a lot about um, came with a bit of a reputation and for him to come to League Two at the time was a big deal. Um, but says we're needing ammunition, we're needing a ball player to come in here, keep possession of the ball and do do the kind of bits told me that we've got someone next to you and Derek Niven who'll be all the running for you, <laughs> and uh, and will get you on the ball and play. and And he was good, to be fair. Um, and, and, and like I say, just was really excited to get back to playing proper football again. Mm.
0: Yeah, and yeah, uh, quite a few fellow Scots in that squad, didn't you? There was like yeah. you and uh, Derek Niven, Gregor Robertson. I think they signed probably that same season, maybe. Um, yeah, or, around that time and. Yeah, so you had quite a contingent, didn't you, at that time? Yeah, and I
1: was I was actually I was in the hotel. Um I hadn't, couldn't hadn't quite got a house yet. And my my like my he's my best friend in football way, Peter Levin. He gives me a phone and then that's a, he's he's signing as well. So that was that was the icing on the cake, and, and we
0: were we couldn't wait to get going. Yeah, and just to go off off on a tangent for a bit at the moment, Peter, Peter Levin's in Russia now, isn't he?
1: Yeah. What's yeah. that all about? <laughs> So he's been he's a traveller. He's been in he was in uh Brest with oh I don't even know, but he the manager there is now manager of a team in Russia and they're they're second in the league. They're they're going for promotion. There's there's only like seven or eight games left and, and they've they've already made the playoffs, but I think they can get automatic promotion. Um and that'll be him, he'll be in the league with Here's Zenit and and I was on the FaceTime to just the other day because I'd not spoke to him for a while. And while we were chatting, Jamie Ward called him, so next minute he was in the chat. So it was like me, him, and Wardy having a
0: blather again like old times. <laughs> Jamie Ward's not going to Russia, is he? Well No, I think he's he's trying to get anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know really. He was. He
1: was
0: he, I don't know if he's trying to go to Russia, but they were talking maybe a move someplace, but I'm not entirely sure where. And. Uh... And Yeah, the next question that was on my list was which players were you closest to at that time? So I suppose we've probably already answered it, but yeah, which yeah. players were, were they, that you kind of felt that you had an instant connection with? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, me and Ped, we'd known
1: each other for a number of years coming through at Rangers and then playing against one another in Scotland, so we were obviously good friends. He's uh, but we as we, we'd pal about away from football and all that, and then. Um, all the area where we stayed. Wardy stayed in the same area. Big Fletch. This was all the first year. Because mm. obviously in my second year, Ped abandoned us and moved on to MK Duns. Yeah. And then Wardy only lasted till like the January and he moved to Sheffield United. I think Fletch had moved on as well. And then by the second year, I've become really good friends with like Darren Curry, Kevin Austin, P. G. Like they were all top, top lads. Downsy like to be fair we were, all, we were all a good group of guys the, the, the travellers from Nottingham like Jack Gregor Robertson Roche they would kind of stick together purely because they'd grown up through the through the ranks and travelled up together but there was never any there was nobody in that dressing put it that way that I didn't enjoy their company even big Janos guys like that who we didn't have much in common away from football but you, you would sit and have a chat
0: and a beer and be no problem at all yeah, and we should mention about um, Kevin Austin because he sadly yeah. passed away, didn't he? In yeah, twenty eighteen, I think, um, from pancreatic yeah. cancer. Do you want to um, say a few words about what he was? What he was like? He was just honestly like the word. I mean, gentle giant.
1: He was one of the guys that if you were you, you kind of had to know him to understand him. Like he was the most soft, kind-hearted person I could probably say I've met in the dressing room. He would literally do anything for anyone. But when he stepped over that white line, he's the exact polar opposite. He was so aggressive. And the, the person that you would want in the trenches were. Mm. And I mean, I remember when I'd left Chesterfield, through whatever reason, everybody moves their own ways. And, and you do, you lost touch with people, but Kev was one of the, the very few that you would always get a text at Christmas time or, or coming up to your birthday, you would know, I know it's your birthday. I hope you're keeping well. I hope the family's well. He was just honestly an absolute gent and, um, it was sad, very sad and when we got the news. And it's like everything else. The, uh, a group chat was started and it was, we'll have to meet up and we'll have to catch up because these things, I shouldn't take something like this for everybody to stay in touch. And um, as I say, we're all, we're all devastated. And there's just such a shame on his family. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um. So you made your debut i think it was against Chester um, Yeah. and you you had the you had the first yellow card in in the league that year. They <laughs> I think you were booked after 9 minutes and it was the first yeah. yellow card in English league football that year. Um, <laughs> do you remember do you remember, was it a harsh yellow I've, I've not got footage of it but I,
1: I do you know what I remember that day it was absolutely scorching. I remember it being a really really hot day and my mum and dad had traveled down for the game. So I remember being really uptight and like mean to make an impression. And the guy I was playing against is the boy, is it Mark Hughes? And he played against him growing up. I'm sure he was at Spurs as a youth. So he was the same age as me. And I thought like, I'll, I'll, I'll put a mark on here. And, and to be fair, I think I've got a still picture of, I'm sure I've been sent a still picture and it's the two of us going for the ball and he's trying to go over the top of the ball for me. And it just so happens I was a wee bit cleverer and went way over the top. <laughs> and uh, and caught him, um, but yeah, I didn't know that that was the first first yellow card. But I remember it being early because I remember thinking, "Oh God,
0: here we go." Do you? Um, because usually referees don't like to give yellow cards that early, do they? So, mm-hmm. so as a player, do you kind of take advantage of that a bit and and like you say, try and lay one on someone <laughs> in the first <laughs> few of game? Especially like especially League Two level. I think 100%. It used to happen to us
1: all the time. I'd see it, we would see it nearly enough every week. In the first 10 minutes, without fail, Jack or Wardy were getting either a centre-half right through the back of them with a header. And like you say, a ref would nine times out of ten be like, that's your warning, that's it. And defenders and midfielders would use that to their advantage all the time. You'd see it all the time. We had, we had um, Kev Gray. We ended up having to wear shin guards in training because of how wild he was. It was absolute madness. Rico actually had to stop training one day and say, That's enough." And we we're all wearing shin guards in training. You've never seen anything like it. Like full blown, but it was brilliant. The competitiveness was great,
0: but we were just phew, got a game on Saturday. Geoff, <laughs> <laughs> And I imagine there was a few players like that in that squad at the time. I imagine people like uh, like Derek Niven were a bit of a monster in training as well, weren't they? Yeah. Like- one of the like you've
1: obviously had Neville Downsy, Gregor could handle himself. Picks, picks was a wee terrier, mm. we don't want a 50 50 with Picks. Um, there, there, to be fair, there wasn't many that couldn't really handle themselves in that team. Um, so yeah, no, definitely like on that department, we're, we're okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and what was the uh, people always ask or, or people always muse about, um. The, the difference in quality in terms of Scottish and English league and where where kind of a league two would fit in terms of mm-hmm. the Scottish league setup. But yeah. did you notice like a difference in quality or standard going from kind of St Johnston to Chesterfield? I think I found League
1: Two harder than the SPL. It was just a hundred mile an hour. You didn't get a minute on the ball. And bear in mind in my first season we had like MK Don's Peter Brack, Spending big money, some internationals then in their in their team, they were good, good sides. But as I say, you didn't get a minute on the ball. You're going from playing an SBL game where you can take it from the full back, you can turn and switch play. That that was never happening in League Two. If you've received a pass from any of the defenders, you've got somebody right up your back and they're and they're making you sure you know that they're there. Um so that was that was a bit of a not a culture shock as such because I knew what to expect but when people do ask the difference between SPL and, and League 2 as it says, SPL, for me anyway I found that easier to play football in League 2 was harder
0: And I suppose especially in your position where you, you're trying to get on the ball oh. and play a pass I'm guessing that's uh, you're having to react a hell of a lot quicker We played I'm sure my first actual game for Chesterfield was
1: a uh, I remember it being like a pre-season friendly it was a night game and and, and as I say taking it from the back playing out thought, thought this is fine I'm going to really play and then going from that to Chester and you're just literally helping everything on and <laughs> making sure you don't get caught on the ball because that's one thing you don't want to do when Jack Leicester's in
0: your team you do not want to get caught on the ball because he's letting you know yeah. um, and the fire the firepower in that team over those two years you obviously had have- Jack Lester and, and Jamie Ward and Steve Fletcher and Adam Rooney I think joined the yeah, second yes. team as well. Um, so were they kind of priming you in training and stuff in terms of right this is what I want you to do?
1: Yeah, all, all the time. I remember I remember uh, Lee Richardson doing a, doing a drill as such, and and the whole session based, well, not the whole session but the whole drill basically revolved around me feeding or the centre midfielder feeding balls into the strikers. And they're just shooting a goal. And we've spent the best part of 40 minutes just doing doggies running up and down, running up and down. And I'm turning to Neville and I'm going, Neville, I'm, this is, I'm piped. What's going on here? What are these hitting them? We're not getting a shot at goal. We're just getting it here off Downsy and laying it for them. But he's got about six lungs, so he's loving it. He's just running back and forward. But um no but we're fortunate having the, the strikers we did.
0: We've had a few players on from that era. We've had um, I kind of downsy on, and I spoke to Jamie Lowry as well, and we've had Alma yeah. Ayre as well. Um, and they all have different opinions of Lee Richardson, so yeah. it seems like. And it was a time when Roy McFarland had been there for ages, and it was a really um, uh. Kind of stable setup for years, and you could pick the first eleven. And then there was obviously that transitionary period where Lee Richardson was manager for a couple of years, which was, when yeah. he was obviously there. Um, and it seems that he maybe brought in some methods or some ideas that maybe rubbed some of the players up a bit the wrong way. Yeah, where <laughs> to say? Um, I imagine because he signed you, you were probably uh, really got on well with him. I, I mean, I got on well but I would I, out of most of them, I me and head
1: especially we were probably the two that fell out with him the most we kind of had the, the gala Scottish mentality of if, if we didn't agree with someone we would tell him hmm. I mean what we had when you had Nilly who was assistant who was an unbelievable coach like his training sessions were amazing really really good uh, really took his time to improve players you had a fitness coach in Shinner who was for me, the best there ever is. Like, unbelievable person. Love him to bits. And, and he, everybody wanted to feed off that. And it was like Rico, he tried too hard to be this manager that maybe he even wasn't. Mm. I mean, every day there used to be a team meeting. And you know yourself, if, if a boss is just speaking, uh, we would be training in Sheffield and he would be saying, right, meeting back to, back at Chesterfield. So you'd have everybody traveling from there back to Chesterfield. We'd get getting in the home dressing room thinking, right, someone's going on here. And it would basically just be a nothing meeting. Is everybody okay? A meeting that he could have held 25 miles away. And I just think it got very repetitive. And I think quickly, boys just started to switch off. And when he spoke, it became, it became very repetitive. And it's hard because I think he had the right, he wanted to be good and he wanted to be right. He was very much into this whole psychology of football and sometimes it affected me, like he would try and do it the wrong way, like he would maybe say things, or oh, you're not playing, and then he would play you, and he would tell you you're in the squad, and then you're not in the squad, very mind game orientated, but I suppose, like you say, I can't have many grumbles on him, because he did bring me into the club, but I could totally sympathise,
0: we used to we used fall out all the time, all the time. Yeah. It's interesting uh, that, because it's starting to, I obviously am not, I don't know any footballers, I know quite a few now, because I've been doing this, yeah. but, um, it seems like a lot of players say exactly the same thing um, yeah. uh, with him in terms of was he just not because obviously he's done really well since his yeah is kind of doing things with Klopp and, and stuff like that. What but mean? was he just not a manager?
1: Yeah, that, I think that's probably the problem. I think he knew his football. Obviously, played at a very high level, and he was a, and he was a lovely guy. Like he wasn't a nasty person. He wasn't. I just think at that time he maybe got caught up on the whole psychology of things. Um, rather than probably just letting Nelly coach and let him step back and watch from afar and then deal with being a manager it was like he tried to do everything and and, and kind of maybe just got involved too much and sometimes you were just as I say the whole meeting things just used to make rub boys up the wrong way and um, yeah and it was unfortunate because that's one of the things in football I look back and I think with the squads that we had in the both years that I was there. I mean, I look at the leagues and, and the first season we were there, uh, Peterborough, MK Dons and Hereford went up and we, we beat all three. We battered Hereford 4-0 on Sky. We beat Peterborough down there and we beat MK Dons down there. And they coasted the league. And I think, if we'd have just had a bit of consistency, we really, really could have had a proper go.
0: Yeah, and that was one of my questions, actually, because um, obviously in those two seasons... Finished just outside the playoffs both seasons, and I think yeah. I think Jack Lester in his in his first season with us had something like the third highest strike rate in Europe or something. I think yeah, he was like behind yeah. Torres or something that yeah. season. So was this one thing that you think you could put your finger on in terms of why we just couldn't get to that?
1: We we we, we I think we lacked putting a run together. It always seemed that if there was a team that could put five six winning streak together you would jump up five six spaces our problem was never playing the teams that were at the top end of the table we seemed to drop too many points drawing away to Accrington won all at Christmas deflates you I mean Exeter went up the year when we went down there and gave them six and I'm pretty sure that was the first time they'd been beat that season I think they were undefeated when we went down there and we gave them six and we played them off the park I think we lacked belief, which was which is probably hard to to understand because of the squad that we had. But again, maybe that does come from above. Maybe you need a manager to to put that belief into the players. Because as I say, the squad we had, the players that we had, um, it is it is it's the one thing I look back and think the, the teams that went up, we were better than them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and final thing on the whole Richardson manager thing, but um, would it have been? In hindsight, would it have been better if Mill was the manager and Richardson was the number two? No way. Um, possibly, possibly. I, I do remember there
1: was a there was a stage where I think Richardson's wife took Nutwell well and, and she was away, and he was away from the club for maybe three or four weeks, which was obviously concerning for everyone, because obviously his wife's health was important. But I just remember the first game I was Boxing Day and we played Bury away we won one nil and I'm sure we went on that, that that was the first time we'd won like three or four games on the bounce and Nilly was in charge and that obviously naturally you're going to think the question that you're asking God I wonder if the tables had been reversed and you had Nilly at the helm and and Enrico um, maybe taking things a step back but yeah in hindsight you'll never know I suppose but. Um, yeah just you couldn't really put your finger on it but there was just something I mean it's, he, he never managed again after Chesterfield did he? No 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 so it's, it's unfortunate because he, he really inherited and to be fair to him he also brought in really good players bringing in managing to recruit Big Fletch and Jack and Darren Curry I mean Darren Curry what a player so being able to recruit these boys Pagey and Kevin Austin you, you can't argue with that but there was just something missing. There was just that that final bit of something to make you the team that goes there.
0: Yeah. And then what I really wanted to talk about was um, the Mansfield derby, because you played in three, I think. Yeah. You played in two the first season, and then that was the season they got relegated. And yeah. then the second season was FA Cup. So I've always wondered in terms of when you have a big fierce derby like that. And obviously mm-hmm. it goes back to a political time about yeah. uh, pit strikes and, and things like that. And obviously you've come from Scotland. Yeah. So you, you probably don't know the importance of why something is yeah. important or why the fans are so passionate about it and, and yeah. things like that. So as players, do you take time or do you sit down in the dressing room and kind of have a bit of a history lesson in terms of why it's important to find out?
1: Yeah, pretty much. You had, um, well, at the time, physio was Jamie Hewitt. You had Shinner, Barry Roach, all these guys who had been there. Alan O'Hare, like you say, Downsy, They were all very, very quick to, to Obviously, every game was important, but they were quick to remind you just of the the. This one's a little bit more important. This one just means that wee bit more. And like you say, the probably the England's coming from Scotland. You do you take it on board. Yeah, okay. And then we first. We're first one was away. And I remember coming out of the warm up, and there was like four or five thousand Chesterfield fans in for the warm up, and the place was rocking. And I remember going, "Oh, this, this is this is why you play football. This is what it's all about." And unfortunately, I remember I had an absolute nightmare that day. <laughs> but we won three one, and it was just amazing. And it and it was like couldn't wait for the next one. Couldn't wait for the next one. But you are very much reminded through the club, through everyone. Um. Jim Brown, you'd be in you'd be in training and Jim Brown would be telling you, remember, we've got, you know who we've got on Saturday. You know who we've got on Saturday, just constant wee reminders and wee digs. You'd go down to Linda's Sam, sandwich shop for your lunch, and they'd be telling you, Just remember all the best on Saturday. Remember it was three points, but come on, it's against them. Just we reminders
0: all the time. And that was just like,
1: okay, this this one's a wee bit more special than the rest.
0: And you, you usually find that local derbies like that get a bit tasty in terms of a few challenges flying in or, or things like that. Is that because you kind of make an effort to try and give the crowd something to shout about? Or is it the crowd, the atmosphere from the crowd that just makes you a bit more uh, full-blooded with things?
1: Yeah, I think it's a
0: bit of both, to be honest with you, because
1: when you know yourself, when you're playing in and it's a full-packed stadium, You get that adrenaline and you can, you're quicker that yeah stuff like that. But also, when you were talking about a game like against Mansfield, when you've played your game the the previous Saturday, you have a wind down on the Sunday and training on the Monday. It's not till probably about the Tuesday, Wednesday, you start really focusing and starting to think about who will play on the Saturday. But when you know Mansfield's the following Saturday, basically, as soon as that final whistle goes the Saturday before, all focus for that whole week, the boys will be texting Mansfield, who did. Today score today, or who were they playing? He's been booked. I'm going to do him. Make sure we get the better of that player. And and it's always just the whole week built up towards that. And and it
0: was it's amazing. You can't beat it. Yeah. And how does it how does it measure up to a uh, a Celtic Rangers? (laughs) Well, I've
1: never played in a Celtic Rangers game. I've only ever been there as as a fan. I could totally obviously understand the the political... Up here, we've obviously got the religious side of things, which makes it very very heated and and whatnot. But it would be interesting to see if you could fill a 50,000-seater stadium for a Chesterfield mansfield game. I don't think it'd be that far off. Mm. Um, Obviously, the numbers give it a bit of an advantage, but I could certainly imagine it'd be just as loud, possibly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, you had a 100% record, didn't you, at... uh... Yeah. In Derby's, so <laughs> never got beat, okay. so I was, I was laughing. Perfect, <laughs> and I should mention that we're obviously jumping forward into the second season, but you scored twice in the yeah. FA Cup game, yeah. Uh, of which we've spoken to Alan O'Hare, and he was playing for Mansfield that day. So strange. Um, and, and he said it was kind of his chance to say goodbye to Chesterfield fans a bit because he'd um not yeah. left the club the way he wanted to. Um, yeah. and you scored a couple of really good goals. Yeah. in that match so yeah do you remember those do you remember those goals? Yeah yeah um,
1: as I said it was um, when it's, it's it's special when it's the FA Cup that's normally a special time anyway you look forward to the FA Cup weekend and blah 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 the fact that it's then Mansfield because I think had they had they been they weren't in the league that time they'd been relegated uh, well yeah, yeah. so the fact that then we'd, hit, we'd managed to get another Derby game mm. at home as well Um, was was brilliant Um, and then obviously to nick a couple of goals I remember Lloyd Carey having a goal because it was kind of roles reversed I'd had to be the one that done all the sitting and keep possession of the ball and Lloyd was always the one breaking forward and getting the goals and he was obviously a Chesterfield fan desperate to score against uh, Mansfield and I managed to nick two that day so he wasn't the best pleased (laughs) Chesterfield's Jamie Winter left Mansfield looking well short of the league two status they lost last season first the Scottish midfielder's free kick found its way through that was just after the half hour early in the second half Lloyd Kerry showed commendable awareness to set up leading goalscorer scorer Jamie Ward for his 11th of the season and it was definitely all over seven minutes later when winter, served up a bouncer that bowled out Mansfield
0: to give Chesterfield their first home win in the FA Cup for 11 years. And all your goals were kind of like that. Did you used to practice just thumping it from third? Um, yeah, no. I mean, to be
1: fair, I've always been technically good striking the ball. Um, and in all fairness, Nelly and Shinner especially, they used to get onto me for not shooting enough. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of, I've always been a good striker of the box. So nine times out of ten, if you've seen me scoring, it's 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 come from about a
0: distance. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, the uh, the six-one win at Exeter, which you touched upon. So that was second season that you were us, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, it was October time, so I think you're right when you said they were kind of unbeaten. So you scored in that. I think it was another one outside the box. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was bonkers that game um i remember it at the time like seeing the score coming through and it was just it was it was just a bit a bit crazy do you, yeah what do yeah you i know? mean i think i'm sure i'm not i'm,
1: I'm not 100 sure on our forum leading up to the game but I, what i do remember was the fact that they were flying i remember like a lot of focus was on um how they were playing football and how they were kind of adapting this 352 formation and and the manager was getting all the praise for how, how they were playing playing football. So when we were going down there on a Tuesday night, you were kind of like, oh, this can go one or two ways. But it just so happened that that was the night everything clicked for us. As I scored the first that night, remember, and everything just fell into place. Um, like that, Jack nicked a couple. I think Wardy got a couple. Uh, is it that Alan Goodall score the other one? I think, yeah, maybe, yeah. I think Goody got the other one, and then Daz Curry comes off the bench and scores. But we just, we, we really, I think, we caught them off guard as I say a few times. They try to play out from the back, and we were like right up against them. You know, it's like Jack and Warby are chasing that when they're on it. Nine times out of ten, if they were playing, we would get the win. And it's not if they weren't playing, if we were able to give them the ammunition, then then we had a great chance. And it just so happened that that night, everything nicked in there. Clipped into place, and and that's the frustrating thing. Because when you see us giving a team that go up, they went up promoted. I think they were second that year with kind of good, good lot of points.
0: When you see them going up, and we're giving them that kind of result, it's it's hard hard pull to swallow. And, and when you're playing in a match like that, where you you kind of cruising, um, I suppose it can go two ways, can't it? You can have some players that can either take the foot off the pedal and. And just mm-hmm. kind of enjoy it play a few Hollywood balls around <laughs> uh or you can do the opposite and you can think right or well, keep the hammer down and see if we can score two yeah. or something. Um but, what what was it what was it like that match? Was it was it a case of keep the hammer down? Yeah well that's the thing you've got characters like Jack
1: Pagey and Kev Austin and, and like you say Daz Curry they were the experienced pros and they were like you say, keep the hammer down. They weren't wanting to go down there. As uh, the whole build up, as I say, everything we spoke about, Exeter being how good they were. So if we'd have went down there and won two or three one, yeah, it would have been seen as a good result for us. But nobody probably would have took much notice, and they would have just moved on and carried on doing what they're doing. But they, they, as I say, their characters in the team—you were never ever getting your foot off the pedal. I remember Kev Austin that night and like you say I remember taking the ball from the back and trying to hit a World Cup willy pass 50, 60 yards to Jamie Lowry and it just went out and I remember Kev Austin barking at me to like don't we're not going wide we're going for a goal I hit we're 4-1 up at the time and I'm saying Kev like try. he's like we're going for 5 we We're going." and then it's we're going for 6 like they were the characters we had the team Um and it was, it was as I say it was just a it was a special night unfortunately there wasn't social media the way it
0: is now so when we were sitting on the bus it wasn't until the next day we were able to see the highlights and stuff and, and what did you uh, what did you have on the bus home uh, was it DVDs and pizza or something yeah, like that yeah I don't even remember we used to we used to get I don't even think it was DVDs apparently remember a lot
1: of boys used to have like laptops and if you got stuck next to Peter leaving on the bus he was just always watching the Sopranos he thinks he thought he was in the Sopranos so um, or you get stuck listening to big Fletch well Fletch was the other thing but yeah, no, on the buses, they used to get some pizzas in, but I can't even remember if we were allowed a beer there. But <laughs> well, we snuck a cheeky beer in for a 6-1-win. <laughs> and uh
0: and I wanted to mention the Droylsden saga because we spoke to uh spoke to Jamie Lowry about this. <coughs> of which he oh, yeah, and I think he played in most of them and you played in most of them as well. I think yeah. maybe in this one of them or something like that. But um I think I played in the first one. Yeah. I mean, that, that was just bunkers, wasn't it? The whole thing. Ah, so we play the first game and it's we're getting beat at half-time,
1: I'm sure. And then the fog comes down. And I remember us coming out to the, the, the kind of tunnel area and you, you couldn't see 10 yards in front of yourself. So the referee calls it, but their manager's going bananas. Hmm. He's going absolute bananas because they're 1-0 up. They're, they're thinking they've got a chance. We play the replay on the Tuesday and we draw one all. So it's a replay back to their place. I didn't play in the replay game. And I remember we're 3-0 up. I mean, I think Dan Curry run riot that night. I remember being 3-0 up and floodlight failure. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, this can't be happening. Surely not. Like, so then we we'll go back and we we'll play then the, the replay of the replay. And we get beat 2-1. And we, we genuinely leave the ground, go home that night, thinking that's it. And it's not till the next morning we get a phone call. You have to come into the ground like we're, we're through. And I can't really remember how it came about as to who caught it and whatnot, but the guy that had scored too, was, he was uh, ineligible, wasn't it? He was, uh, Yeah, there was a
0: guy that had been uh, red carded, I think, for something and was meant to be serving a suspension or something like that. I'm sure somebody on our part picked up the fact
1: that, wait a minute, he's played Saturday and got red carded and then he, I'm sure it's the guy, the guy that
0: scored. Then that was it. We went through and played Ipswich in the next round and got a lovely day out. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's two questions that I asked Jamie Lowry. So it'll be interesting if you give the exact same answers. But well, in the first one where Jack Lester scored the pass back, <laughs> 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 um, did he did he mean to score? I I
1: I would say yes. Yeah. I think but that's just the way Jack was. It was one of the ones where he's 20, 30 yards out from goal. I don't I, I, I still think to this day that Jack would argue that we shouldn't have let them score. That's the way Jack was. Jack's a winner. And that regardless, it was win at all costs with Jack. And I love that about him. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being a bounce ball. And if he didn't want to score, you would have
0: just rolled it back into the keeper's hands. But fair play to him, you checked the keeper and you got a goal. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. I was there and it was just hilarious. <laughs> I've never heard yeah. the crowd just laugh. <laughs> than-
1: yeah, yeah, I was uh, <laughs> I, I was on the part for that and I remember like thank you. Goodness for like uh Kev Austin, God rest his soul, because he was he was throwing droils players
0: all over the place because they were desperate to get to Jack. It's like wrestling. Yeah. And and the other question um was did Droilsden turn off their own floodlights? My guess again would be yes.
1: <laughs> it wasn't until later on we found out, like I'm sure their manager was also their chairman, and it was a very strange setup. But yeah, I mean. We'll never have any proof, but there's ten minutes to go, and 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 it would be interesting if they were three 0 up if the
0: floodlights would have went off. Yeah, totally. We <laughs> can lay that to bed now because you've you've answered exactly the same way as Jamie Lowry did. So I think everyone would probably. Did,
1: did Jamie Lowry tell you that that uh, me and Ped Peter Leavens took him up to an old forum game? No, no. Yeah, go on, tell me we what. Had- we had we had uh, we got tickets and it was me, Peter, Phil Pickin, Steve Fletcher, and Jamie Lowry. We managed to take them up right it was a Tuesday night game, and we managed to take them up for an old forum game. And what was that like? Was it yeah? It's good. We had uh, paid picks, and Jamie Lowry sat on the opposite side. We had three three tickets together, and I sat with Big Fletch. Um, I remember it was like a Tuesday, we played a bounce game against Middlesbrough. So we all drove up and then we went straight up to Glasgow
0: for the old firm and then drove back the next day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and and what were your memories of um, of Saltergate at that time? Because obviously it was a it was a cool ground. It was a bit yeah. a bit uh, dilapidated. And like training facilities, like you mentioned, you had to travel quite a long way just to get to training to and yeah. from the ground. Um yeah, what what are your memories just of what that ground was like? I mean, I, the, the ground itself was obviously, it was, it was old and whatever it had. But from, from a pitch
1: point of view, playing on it, I always enjoyed the pitch. The pitch was always in really good condition. Mm. Um, but like, my dad and his friends, seven or eight of them, they used to come down every five, six weeks to the games. And they used to love it, like standing in the, the, the court and whatnot. And like a proper football ground there. Eh? And I remember, like, obviously the second year we came back for pre-season and we were doing some testing on the park and we came back and it had been painted this ridiculous green colour. But they'd obviously been filming the damned United. I remember saying to, like, uh, Jim and all that, and, and we're going to need to get this sorted. I'm not playing about with this horrible green colour. <laughs> but no, as I say, pitch-wise, I loved it. Um, and it was, and it, was, it was a cool old ground. That's probably one of the other things that I regret is the fact that I never had the chance to then see it. The, I've never seen the new stadium.
0: Mm. Oh, you'll have to come down and see it. It's, uh, yeah. it's yeah, it's it's nice, but it's yeah, it's obviously a lot different to Saltney. Yeah. And and being on top of the hill when the fog came down was just uh was just always good fun. Was the was the characters around the club as well that you remember? Because there's obviously people like uh, the chairman at the time and, uh, and Jeff Hall and Jeff uh, and, and Jeff people was, like uh, that.
1: Yeah. yeah, Jeff was in all the time. Uh and again, we'll go back to people who would let you know about Mansfield games and stuff. Like there's there's guys like him who would be sitting in the physio room if you were maybe injured, they would be giving you stick and what's wrong with you really? Come on, like and um yeah, the the, the characters were amazing about the club, I see. Even Tina, the photographer, she was always amazing. Uh I say I was I was away from home at that time, like quite a young lad at the time. So there was people at that club that I like, couldn't thank enough. I mean, Shane Nicholson, he was like a big brother to me. I can't speak highly enough about that man and everything he'd done because going back to the whole Lee Richardson thing, as I say, he used to play a lot of psychological games as such. I always remember like he, he would phone me and say things. Five minutes later, Shinner would phone me and we'd have a proper conversation because Schinner would be in the office at his end mm. and he would see what I was feeling. So he would maybe be like, that's maybe not the way to approach it. And he would then leave the office, and he would call me up, and then we'd have a proper conversation. And he would—he was would never lie to me. He would be honest. You're not doing enough, or you need to do this to play. But it was more on my level of understanding what was required to play or to be right. And um, so, like as I say, I still keep in touch with him now. I love the man. Um, but these characters, as I say, there were there was a lot of them. Um, but they were all just a, a link in the chain of, of making Chesterfield the special club that is. And, and what was your order at Linda's Sandwich Shop? Used to get an omelette, an omelette on a roll. Yeah, and then to be fair, one time Gregor Robertson's dad managed to send us down, uh, we get Lauren sausage up in Scotland, which is like square sausage. And he, Gregor actually walked down to Linda's and, and pleaded with her to, to, to cook this square sausage. So the whole club got... Uh, Lawn rolls on on gregor that was like a, that was like being back home it was great
0: square sausage so It shows lawn them. roll yeah square sausage yeah is it like is it like uh in pastry or but or was it no just no, no it's just
1: like um it's just sausage meat but it's square we call it in scotland lawn sausage and it's just basically square sausage Um so he, like gregor's dad must have been down visiting him and he basically brought down this slab of Square Sausage and Gregor walked down into Linda's and got off the cook-up one day for us. (laughs) There may be a mid-table side at the moment but few clubs in the division have a better away record than Chesterfield. they picked up more points on the road than at home and took the lead at Chester when Laurie Wilson diverted the ball past his own goalkeeper. Chester were level early in the second half. Damien Mazzica's well-placed header, his second goal of the season. But two goals in quick succession gave Chesterfield all three points. Jamie Winter restored the lead with 13 minutes left. And then Lloyd Kerry added the third. His shot took a big deflection and looped over goalkeeper John Danby. Martin Britton made sure it had
0: crossed the line, but seemed to accept it was Kerry's goal. Kind of getting to the end of your Chesterfield time now. So what What kind of, and obviously at, at that time, about two years of not quite yeah. in the playoffs. So, did you kind of get the sense that there was going to be kind of a bit of change in the club and that maybe you wouldn't be kept on?
1: Yeah, um, I think there was maybe... F- there was a few games to go, and I remember I, I got an eye injury. I burst my head against Barnet at home. And uh, basically from that point of coming out of the team, they brought Lewis Muntroes in on loan. And I really struggled to get back in from that point. And what probably didn't help me was the fact that the club were probably running down Lee Richardson's contract, so nothing was really getting kind of looked at beyond that. Um, so I kind of packed up my things, came up the road, and then at the in hindsight, I don't know, all the players were phoning us when John Sheridan got the job and Downsies and all that phoning saying, you would love him. You would love this. Like the training, everything that he's looking for a player is you you have to come back you have to come on trial and whatnot but you're young you're proud you don't want to be like the one making the first contact whatever um but yeah just through through football reasons and kind of running its course that was me i left but nothing but good
0: memories and then and then you've played for quite a few um kind of highland football teams and and things like that since which i imagine is really picturesque i imagine like every every football grounds on like the top of a mountain or something yeah (laughs) Um, uh yeah, I mean there must be some good um good tourist grounds to uh for any football fans that are wanting to see a bit of football from yeah. there really picturesque. Where where should we go and watch watch football? Well, I mean if you were if you were ever coming up, he's you come up that I play now for my
1: brother-in-law's team, just a kick about on a Saturday with the Carnoustie Juniors. Um and as I say, the golf courses, you've got St Andrews 10 minutes away. Um it's lovely. It's windy a lot, and it rains a lot. <laughs> but no, you, you, as I say, just back to kicking a ball and normal life now. Work, work
0: away, travel to work, and kick a ball at the weekends. It's is what it is. Yeah, and uh, and uh, like one of the favourite friendlies always for Chesterfield fans is at Matlock, um, and uh, and obviously all the fans love that just because it's so good. Yeah. So um, so so yeah. I mean, you're only thirty five yeah i imagine you've still got still got a few years then have you Uh, (laughs) kick about
1: yeah as i said i'm enjoying i played as as juniors here we call it but i would imagine it's like semi-professional down in england um so it keeps us relatively fit i would love to play just as like i genuinely enjoy playing football so i would love to play as long as i can uh, in some capacity um, I've not really thought anything other beyond that in regards to coaching or anything. Um, I've got a son now, so he he's at the age where he's starting to play football. So I'm kind of hoping that that will coincide with when I finally stop. He'll be of an age where I can then fully focus on going to watch him if that's what he decides to do.
0: And and you work for a really interesting, well, you're, you're a patron for a really interesting charity now, aren't you? Back on yeah. the side. So <laughs> tell us a bit more about. About that? So um,
1: basically, about maybe what was that, two years ago now, um, the charity had come in and done some work with our club, basically going around dressing rooms and doing meet and greet talks just to let uh, people know that there is help out there for any mental health um, help they would need. But we, I, I just felt that I could maybe use my. Um, my, my my help and what I, I, the people I know, if I could get the word out there a wee bit more. So I came up with the idea or campaign of, for every win that our Carnoustie team had, I would donate £10 to the charity. And through word of mouth, it spread. And within maybe a day or two, there was 24, 25 teams who had agreed to do the same. And it was great to obviously get this money into the charity, but not only the money side of things, it was spreading the word. Because I think that that's the biggest thing in in Everything that needs to be helped is that people know that there is help, especially through this charity. So basically from that, then done a fundraiser where I've done a fire walk, raised money to do uh, a fire walk. And then we had a lot of things in plan for fundraisers, which had kind of been put on the back burner because of COVID and the whole pandemic. Um, but yeah, just basically use my platform to spread the word through social media and people I know and in and the footballing world. um to get it out there as much as I can. I personally don't feel like I do anything that's out of the ordinary that, that, that you wouldn't do to, to, to help someone or pass it on. Um, but the team at Barcon side, they have counsellors, Uh, Libby, the founder, is amazing in what they do. Um, And like I say, the, the amount of people to help and the, amount of the the things they do is, is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. And especially for kind of younger men as well. It's yeah. um, mental health just... Really important, isn't it? That uh, it's something that we obviously still, still evolving or <laughs> or trying to talk more about, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I
1: just think that's the, that's what you're saying there is being able to talk about it or being able to say to someone like I'm struggling here, um, and I, and as I say, I'll go back to like of people like like Shiner. So Shinner obviously had demons of his own, his own life, and and I think he's seen things not in myself but he knew that then me being a young man that's not what I needed I needed maybe a wee bit of comfort and it was just wee things like phoning me up are you okay like we'd have a chat we'd maybe have an argument we'd have a... but it's just knowing that something there's no harm in saying to someone I'm struggling here or I could do with a help uh, and, and like you say it's just getting that word out and, and the more people that know that there's help there hopefully the more people will get help
0: yeah well we'll uh, share the details for it so that people can uh, check out See more yes. about it. Um. So so yeah. Finally, I just wanted to know what was your if you had like a top highlight uh, while you're at Chesterfield. Obviously, you've got kind of Midsfield derbies, and you've got uh, six-one away wins, and floodlights being turned off, and getting booked <laughs> after nine minutes, and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Did you have like a top highlight, John, your two-year seasons at the club? Obviously, like I, I enjoyed the cup games. So even like getting to play at the first
1: season, we got to play at Bramall Lane. In the cup, uh, that was good. Uh, then, obviously, the season after, getting to play Ipswich away, which is funny because we got beat three 0 from Ipswich. But I genuinely come away from that game thinking we could have, we could have got a result here. I'm pretty sure we were depleted a bit with with, with injuries. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing but but uh, fond memories. One of my one of my favourite games with Chesterfield was a 1-0 home win against Rotherham. I remember it being a, a, like a rainy day. And again, I think they were on a bit of a run. And the, the, the stands were packed. It was a really good atmosphere. And we'd done really, really well. And it was 0-0. And I remember Alan Goodall scoring a header at the back post. Literally, I think it was maybe like five, ten minutes to go. And just that, that feeling, that was, it was a really good feeling. And I think that kicked on a wee run. But that's probably one of my favourite games. Uh, as I say, beating Rotherham on one nil and getting that win was magic.
0: I was talking to one player, and he was saying that um, he'd listened to a podcast where they were talking about psychopaths, and they were saying how psychopaths can change characteristics just like yeah. that. Um, and he was saying when he listened to it, he thought they're just they're just explaining footballers because he was saying that you know, and I, I've kind of found from doing this that everyone I've spoken to they're all quite normal, um, and yeah. and you expect footballers to be a bit. Yeah. You know, there's an image of what. Yeah, what they're like isn't isn't there? But but actually, everyone I've spoke to quite quiet, quite normal. But then once you cross the white line, you just turn into animals. Yeah,
1: and as I say, I think (laughs) that comes from the whole, especially at that level, we're fighting for win bonuses. We've got bills to pay, and if you want to go on a nice holiday, you've got to do well for to get the bonuses. So as I said, three points matter, and it all of a sudden becomes. I want to win this, I, and I'm not. And you're not going to stop me. And that's where arguments stand. You know, it's, I I love when I see players arguing on the pitch. I love it because it shows me like they're they're at it. I'd much rather as a fan see players by rating one another, wanting to win, as opposed to someone kind of just accepting.
0: Oh, I'm wrong, sorry, and then we'll get on with it. Like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. And it's it's funny, really, because fans can be like that as well. Like fans can be really normal, quiet, nice people. And then yeah. the minute they go into the football ground.
1: Yeah, and, and it's kind of like, I think that's what we're seeing with this whole pandemic thing about how important football is. Like, everybody's kind of Saturday routine, whether it be yourself travelling down to a game, stopping in a pub, having a few pints with your mates, going to watch the game and then coming home. It, people don't understand the release that they get from that and, and how much they, they need it. As soon as it's taken away and we've seen what it's, football's like without fans this year, it's, it's,
0: it's not the same. And, and as a footballer, 3pm Saturday is just... Yeah. It's that's what you want, fun, There's nothing better than that. All this...
1: I've got an old film to watch next Saturday and it's a four o'clock start, so that's a wee bit better. But all this half-twelve kickoffs and two in the afternoon, is, it, it, it should be three o'clock or under the lights. One or the other. No yep. problems. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with <laughs> Great. Well,
0: thanks for coming on.
1: No bother, Thank Dave. You.